0: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Cruising Down the Boulevard. Um, Special double episode, uh, two episodes in one night. Uh, We have here today Mr. Sean Haywood um, of Sheawood fame, uh, currently in second place. Sean, say hello to the audience. Hey, everyone. (laughs) Um, We were just catching up for a little while before we we started recording, Um, but I I figured, um, you know... We we spent some time talking a weeks earlier today. Uh, now we wanted to get Sean on board. Um, they represent kind of the second and third place teams, uh, and at some point soon we'll get Max on the podcast as well. Um, but as we uh, as we dive into it, maybe uh, just give everyone uh, a quick little update on kind of how the last couple of months have gone for you, Sean, and um, what you were doing kind of when when COVID first started, uh, and kind of what you've been doing for the last couple of months. Sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, good to be here, and, uh, as, you uh, just kind of also not repeat some things that I already told you in my previous catch for vacation and, you know, little weekend trips, I, uh, I started, you know, early March, like everyone, the work from home, and going into that, I was in a pretty good routine, you know, between balancing work and a little bit of exercise. I was into playing squash quite a bit, um, about once a week or so, and, um, I was also doing a lot of yoga, like, twice a week, and, um. Obviously, the squash stopped because the, the course shut down, but um, kept doing yoga at home and, and still doing that, and the local studio, studio reopened, which is good news. Still working from home. No, um, For my, my group at work in Jersey City, no um, entry into the office in sight, at least I uh, haven't heard a date. Um, so still working from home. Um, around the same time, though, that the lockdown started, um, my wife Shannon actually woke up with all the symptoms of COVID, um, it was so early on though we were kind of a little bit skeptical that it could have actually got her um, Long story short she recovered within about 10 days um, Didn't have the bad respiratory issues, but she definitely had the bad fever for about five days and um, It was like in, you know some of the worst body pains and extremely exhausted sure enough, you know end of May she got a an antibody test um, because the, the actual live test wasn't readily available so early on, right. um, and, and she tested positive for the antibodies. I thought for sure that I was going to get something at some point, so I was living like very nervous for like the rest of March and April, um, thinking that inevitably I'm going to get this thing being around her, and uh, and I didn't. And then I got tested for the antibodies, kind of hoping that maybe I had been asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. So negative. negative. Um, totally negative. I still want to go, maybe get another test to, to just confirm. But um, I've heard from one other friend of mine that he got sick, and um, his girlfriend was around him, and she also came up negative and he came up positive the antibodies. So it happens; it's weird. Um,
0: we. I was gonna say, I feel like the it, thing is, based on yeah. based on I, I feel like it's no one really knows, right? That's like the, the weird thing about yeah. this thing. Like even the smartest people in the world on this particular topic, like, still don't know like really what's going on um, to this day, and so I feel like. You would like, based on what you said like what we do know you would have like expected to have something but i guess that just is what it is
1: it is yeah you can't really i mean maybe in a few years we will know a little bit better about how it travels and who it impacts differently i heard recently that you know sometimes your t cells can actually fight it off before you need to build the antibodies to fight it off with the rest of your immune system Um, different takes from, you know, my brother who
0: thinks he's a doctor, but, um, still is basically in medical school. Um, You know, I think there's, there's more people that think they're doctors now than probably ever before, um, whether they're in med school or not. So, uh, at least he, he has the, um, the, the med school, like degree pending that he can point to. Whereas I think a lot of other people are just like, uh, Twitter experts. So that's right.
1: That's um, right. Yeah. So the rest of my, uh, besides kind of living a little bit of um, fear while working from home, the rest of my time spent was, you know, just obviously working from home a lot. um, As we talked about before, getting outside and doing jogs around the neighborhood as best as I can and um, walks and and typical uh, whatever you can do at home with uh, the Nike training app is pretty good. Been using that lately and um, yoga online. Um, I also, my big, my big um, hobby that I picked up um, going into the break, going into the, the locked up, is, but also um, uh, really kind of picked up steam was um, relearning uh, a language. Um, I always kind of enjoyed learning languages and was um, pretty good at it, learning French in high school, and then Italian, obviously studying abroad in college, and uh, so I wanted to learn Italian again because we had this big you know, Europe trip you know,
0: plan to go to London to see the Cubs Cardinals. Um, which obviously was canceled. And oh, that's flying. so brutal. That would have been so yeah, fun. Yeah, we had tickets. Yeah, like you guys did for the Yankees um, Red Sox. game. That was such a series. Oh my god. I, I'm I'm sorry because that was. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there'll be another time when they they try to reimplement that. But that was yeah. such a like a, a memorable trip. That's really unfortunate that 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 I didn't. I don't think I realized that that happened.
1: Yeah, it was it was a real bummer because like we not only had that planned, but you know, obviously my wife wasn't all that crazy about but like the uh my 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 parents were gonna meet up with me there my sister was gonna celebrate her 40th birthday and come meet us in london and she's a big harry
0: potter fan so we had like a whole family trip planned where everyone was gonna get to do their thing oh my god um
1: shannon and i were gonna break off after that and and go down to south of france and go to nice and the french riviera and then um italian riviera and the Rome where we met and then go to sicily and we never actually made it to sicily while we were abroad so we were we're planning this trip to spend a lot of time in Italy, and so I wanted to learn Italian for that. Um, now, like that, we're not going. I'm still like learning. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm taking two classes a week with teachers that I found online, um, and I basically Skype call with them wow. every week. Basically, uh, I think Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday Fridays are my schedule now um, for an hour each time. So now I'm like actually conversationally fluent, and I can I can carry on a conversation for over an hour, and I actually talked to another guy at work. I have a, a technology um, senior lead in, uh, in the Scotland office I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. And he and I have gotten to chat and send emails in Italian. Um, wow. So yeah, it's, it's been fun to kind of flex those skills and, and use that different part of your brain that that requires. I know you already speak another language and um, it, it's, uh, it's always kind of interesting to be able to, in my, in my opinion, be having it be a true second language that I had to kind of learn from scratch and not, you know, having grown up around it to force myself to, like, do those things that, you know, a kid would do to, like, listen to a language. And, you know, the approach is totally different from learning anything else where you just kind of read a book and, you know, hope that it sticks. But with this, it was like, I actually just started watching podcasts and using this concept of acquisition, learning through acquisition, where you, you kind of force your subconscious to pick it up. Um, so watching a lot of YouTube videos and just listening to podcasts, I've kind of learned without kind of using textbook or grammar. Just kind of trying to pick it up through hearing conversation, and then um, you know applying it obviously by talking to teachers in classes. So it's been fun, and then obviously next year when we can actually go to Italy and I can
0: use it, um, I'm going to see uh, see how well I do. I think that is the single most impressive thing that anyone that I've you know been talking to over the last couple of months of like quarantine activities. I think Sean, you you take the cake of uh, most productive and kind of most like aspirational uh, things that you've done over the last uh, couple months. Uh, so kudos to you on that. Thank you. Um, can Thank you, you, given that you are conversational, can you say something along the lines of, I'm going to win this fantasy baseball season in Italian? Or anything yeah, close sir. to that?
1: Si, vado vincere questo stagione di baseball.
0: Oh my God, that that was so exciting. Um, <laughs> I, I might have to edit. I don't. I was telling you, I don't really do a ton of uh, post production work, but I might have to edit that specific clip and start it. Start try to figure out a way to start this episode with that instead of the theme song because that was incredible. Uh, <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, well, kudos to you for doing that. Uh, I think that's really cool. Um, I I had a goal in mind um, because JP Morgan offered like a um, a discount, to, like a to use. Um, I forget which, like, language uh, website it was. Rosetta Stone or something. Rosetta Stone, like, and and they were like, okay, you could do this. And I was like, great, I'm going to learn Hebrew. That was going to be my thing. And then I just never actually did anything with that. So you, you, that's, instead, I was listening to baseball podcasts that were complaining about how there was no baseball. Um, So moving on to that topic, um, just, um, I guess the, when, when COVID first, like, happened and, and obviously everyone was pretty bummed about, um baseball being postponed, Um, spend some time kind of on on your thinking in like May and June in terms of like when the baseball talks were first happening, um, kind of whether or not you were optimistic about baseball coming back or if you kind of didn't really uh, see it as a likely outcome, just where was your head at kind of in in the beginning of the summer months?
1: Yeah, I mean... I think I was constantly
0: changing my mind as to when we would start. I went into, you know, really
1: March when I was still watching spring training, and they kept playing games, you know, well after the NBA canceled their season. So I was like, well, it can't be that bad. And
2: they didn't get big cases in, um, in Arizona until right. actually just very recently, as we talked about before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I was, I was thinking, like, this, this thing is definitely going to start in, you know, late May you know if the Korean Baseball League can start in May then we can
1: start later May or June Right. and um and then you know I had these I had this wishful thinking though where I kept kind of adjusting my, my thinking just by only like a week or two at a time because I still really was holding out hopes that I could use those tickets in London mm. um, hoping that maybe that would be like the first series of the year or something kick off the season with that you
0: know? when, when was it scheduled like, for like early June or something July oh it was oh, like, July um, okay uh was it was it no, Oh, it was, so it was, it was probably it was, the same weekend that uh, the Yankees Red Sox were 'cause that was right that was right before Fourth of July. That was like the last weekend in June, first weekend in July. Yeah,
1: you know what? I think it was I think it was like a June fourteenth game for some reason that sticks in my head. Got or it. was it July? I I I think it was in June and then towards yeah, it was we were gonna do two weeks. It was starting in June, we were going um so yeah, like I think it was a June like thirteenth, fourteenth series. So I was hoping we would the season start starting early June, <clears throat> but then with kind of like seeing the explosion of cases like right where we are in New York and then seeing how it was transpiring in other places where, you know, I have friends in Chicago and, um, you know, it, it really, like, a lot along the East Coast it hit pretty hard. And even here in New Jersey, like, we're still very slow to reopen
0: despite kind of Going below that, below that kind of 1.0 mark, as they they track it. Yeah. yeah, R squared of 1.0. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Just kind of quickly readjusting expectations. Cancelled that trip. Cancelled the tickets. Got requested a refund,
1: and got that fortunately for the tickets. Um, Really kind of bummed out. And once it is like stated, like true depression. Like in, in a lot of like late May, June, because like. You know memorial day hit and we really couldn't do anything right we couldn't watch any sports that that sucked uh when i was canceling my trips i wasn't sure when i was gonna be able to go anywhere for a vacation um even locally so yeah and then you know hearing like the talks between the players association and and the owners i was super skeptical because hearing like about all the back and forth about 60 games versus 70 games um, about kind of players just being able to get their full pay at kind of, you know, a typical prorated rate. It was ridiculous to me how that was going on, that it would even be such a big deal. Because yep. you, you watch all the sports, or you follow the news for all the sports. I, I don't remember, at least, this being an issue with the NBA as they were kind of planning their comeback. Um, so, yeah, I, I, um, I readjusted my expectations, and I was thinking, maybe there won't be a season at all, right? Yeah. Baseball's hard to do. There's just so much travel and so many games. And so much opportunity for risk and exposure that I, I was thinking, you know, realistically, when we, we have kind of all place bets on the, the actual timing, like I, I was saying, um, you know, I think I was saying like late July, August. Is, um, and I was probably I was off on that, but it uh, ended
0: up being fairly close because we started this season in late July. Yep. Um, so
1: yeah, I, I was I was really disheartened by the whole thing.
0: <laughs> I have to say, I've never been so. Um... I think pessimistic is is one way to describe it, but also just, like, pissed off and annoyed about the MLB as, like, an organization as I was in, like, late May, early June of this year, where, like, to your point, the amount of um, back and forth that was going uh, between, like, the players' union and uh, Manfred and the owners was, like, beyond frustrating. Um, And and I ended up... um, I ended up reading and following a lot of people on Twitter that, like, I, I found this random guy that, like, was, uh, somehow I got connected to on, uh, like, through someone that I followed on Twitter that was, like, writing about um, just, like, like medium posts about how, like, frustrating and how, um, like, bad MLB was handling this situation. And, and I got to, like, a really, like, talking about depression, I got to a point where I was, like, thinking about like, how the MLB doesn't have, like, fans to lose. Like, I I just don't think they do a good job of marketing the sport at all. Um, And so, like, missing an opportunity like this and, like, setting us back, like, sometime, especially with, like, the impending labor talks coming up at the end of next year, I, like, really started thinking about a scenario in which, like, MLB couldn't get their shit together and they, like, really started losing fans and losing money and, like, how, like... I don't know, I, I envision watching baseball in its, like, current format or, like, some degree of that for, like, the next, you know, hopefully the rest of my life. Uh, and, like, I, I started getting, like, worried about the fact that that wouldn't, like, exist in its current form. And, it, yeah, it was... Talk about being in a bad place. That was that was not a fun time. Yeah,
1: I didn't think about that, but there is so much on the line in terms of just having, to, having a season, mm-hmm. even if it's a short one, that creates a sense of continuity from year to year. Like, I, I mean, I think of major events in my life as like before and after World Series.
2: You know?
1: <laughs> Twenty sixteen is like well, like a like a turning point in my life for many like ways that I kind of categorize things in my head. And without like a baseball season to like break the the lull that this this lockdown has created in our lives, like it is just like this never ending stupor that we would be living in. I'm, I'm so happy that it's back though.
0: Yeah. No. I. I, I... I feel the same um i was i'm sure irrationally optimistic at certain times and irrationally depressed at other times um but i'm just i'm happy to have it back i'm happy like i I think there's obviously so much other shit going on in the world and so much other shit that's going on in everyone's like lives just having the ability to like have this as a distraction have this as like a thing that you have on in the background um and just like having like now real you know real games and real like player statistics. And I was, as I was mentioning to weeks earlier today, like it's been a crazy season. Um, It's been a a weird season. Uh, It's not going to be like a real TPL belt, but it is like the fact that it's back is like, I've never been more happy about it being back, even though it's weird and odd and um, you know, a a kind of a, a different expectation day to day than I normally have. It's just, it's I'm more excited than ever. Me too let me ask you real quick because I, I read a good article i think it was in the athletic about how the yankees and cubs
1: our two teams coincidentally mm-hmm. have both handled the lockdown really well in terms of giving the players like the amenities that they would hopefully have in terms of like access to outdoor space by picking the right hotels um getting them bringing in like video games or k games or whatever in the hotels and um, giving them a lot more comped meals because I, I, didn't, I didn't know this but like a lot of times the players just have to pay for all their own meals on the road and you know normally they can just order room service but the hotels in many places have like limited or no you know room service or food options which you know to many players right now it's just like been an awful and they just have to order in like fast food which is you know not ideal for them when they're trying to like you know keep it peak performance and stuff but like I've, I've heard actually that our two teams have been Doing the best and leading the charge in terms of trying to to create a, a positive atmosphere in, in many ways. When the players technically can't leave their hotels when they when they're back
0: after a game. Well, I, I haven't read that uh, that athletic article, but now that you mentioned it, I definitely will. Find, I'll seek it out and I'll find it. Um, but I hope one. I hope you're not jinxing us because I feel like the, the <laughs> like watching the Marlins and the Cardinals and now like with the. Um, uh, Police at Clevenger uh, situation in Cleveland. I feel like, yeah. like, for teams that aren't planning for it accordingly, I feel like that's just like, that's incredibly dumb of them. Um, so like, I, I guess if if the bar is like meeting some like sort of, um, uh, I guess like proactive planning, whether it's like actually planning for something different or just like allowing for players like understanding. Um, like the human element of being a human playing the sport in this weird pandemic and like expecting if you're not doing something different, expecting the players to do something different without like any real um like structure around it like I think is obviously like I think those teams are probably planning poorly so if if the Yankees yeah. and Cubs are doing it like I, I would say that's it's great, but it also like I would have expected more teams to be doing that i guess is a is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, well we'll see and I, I think it's going to be kind of a turning point because um, this could actually cause
1: players to demand more of those creature comforts over time beyond kind of a, the league minimum salary that ends up not being actually and, and I know they they're, all become millionaires at some point if they stick in it, but uh, for like rookie players it, it ends up not really going a long way when you to think about the fact that they are uh, paying for their meals and paying for nutritionists and paying for private coaches in the off season, and paying for rent in an apartment in a city that they may not want to live in. Right, <laughs> it ends up becoming uh, a, a tough life. I mean, you see it now, like them having to be on the road and uh, and follow these protocols, um, you know, and not being able to kind of do those things that a pro would want to just be able to use their big contract to pay for. Right. Um, it's a good article. I definitely definitely check it out because it's cool how I think it was. Um, Eric Cole and Brett Gardner partnered together to like book a banquet
0: room at a big hotel. I did hear that. Yeah, And food for all the players. Yeah, so yeah, um, it, it's cool. I mean, they're uh, they're doing the right
1: things, so I think, in, in
0: certain places. Yeah, and, and not to go back to this particular point uh, because I, I think in the, in May and June I probably got more in depth on like um, like player salaries and like what it meant yeah. for some players versus others if the season didn't come back. Uh, I, and I think the The most impressive like marketing or PR ploy that like the owners have ever like managed to get away with is like convincing the public that like, um, you know, players are all millionaires and like can all afford like a, um, you know, not playing a season or not afford to like make a portion of their salary. Um, And when you actually look at the percentage, like the numbers by percentages, yes, obviously there's going to be outliers like the people that sign the mega deals. Um, but like when you think about a percentage of players in the league that are only in the league for a couple, like a year or two, um, that only ever make like the league minimum plus a little bit, uh, or the minor leaguers, there's just so much, um, uh, I guess the the compensation is so skewed. Um, and, and the fact that the, the owners have managed to convince the public that like it's the millionaires against the billionaires, um, which I guess is technically somewhat accurate, but it's also like the billionaires are still the billionaires and there's like, 30 of them and they're all billionaires whereas like the players are um yes there of course there are people that are like hugely successful but like the other people are also like as important in the decision and all of those things and anyway that back, back down that rabbit hole we go but um anyway uh so going into kind of the tpl um i know the the, the season was a little bit um you know it, it kind of crept up us on us in terms of like what we we were kind of figuring out certain things about the season in the weeks leading up to the draft. But was there anything kind of going into draft that you were um, like particularly thinking in terms of draft strategy, or did you approach it in any different way than you normally would a TPL season? Um, I
1: actually like had no thoughts <laughs> at all coming into the draft. I, I had no preconceived notions. If anything, I was procrastinating from my typical draft prep. Mm-hmm. my typical draft prep and you mentioned listening to baseball podcasts I, I used to listen to so many podcasts and um and religiously i'd listen to like every installment and uh and i use that as kind of my my prep to learn about sleepers and minor leaguers i hadn't heard of mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd note them in my you know my, in my notes in my phone and i'd have those on reference then to figure out where i would target those players if they came available at the right spot in the draft and, that was part of my draft prep in the past, which was fun because it was kind of trying to find those sleepers with those diamonds in the rough. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just because I was, I was obviously, I was distracted by work and I had this side hobby of learning a language that I kind of was like, well, I don't know when baseball is actually restarting, so I don't want to start doing all this homework and prep for nothing. Also, seeing the players opting out and some who were like injured or out of shape or, you know, infected with COVID, you never really knew like at a certain point, like, who do I even target for a draft Right. if, if it's not going to be the same pool of players um, as, you know, you would have had for, uh, for a redraft at the start of the season. Now, that, that's the difference, right, is that it was a total redraft, which was very fun and unique and interesting, and looking back at it, I'm really glad we did it. Um,
0: I, I am as well. I think I think it was a, um, um, it, it, it took some convincing for some people to want to go that route, but once everyone was on board, I think it made the the draft prep really fun because you were like considering players you would have never considered um, and yes there's like the the weirdness of like like having your keepers on other people's teams uh, and I'll, I'll just use an example like yeah. he, he, and, and it's gone both ways right like I'm watching uh, I mentioned in the podcast with weeks that like Gary Sanchez is like absolutely shitting the bed um, on weeks' team. Uh, which is like one end of the, the spectrum And then I have Fernando Tatis Who's on Protzman's team Who's like literally having the best season Like of almost anyone With the exception of maybe like a handful of players um, And it's just like such a weird dynamic But I'm I'm so Happy that we went down this route Because it makes this weird unique season Like different In it's own unique way mm-hmm. Yeah And It's only fitting like a like... People always say now, it's like it's 2020, you might as well you know, do something crazy. Uh, <laughs> it, it is only, it's only fitting that I'm not looking at
1: it, that, that we do something totally different. And you know, I'm glad about like people in the league, uh, I'd say across the board, we're very open minded yeah. uh, about not only the format of the draft and the teams in every draft, but like the rules. I'm glad that we revisited some rules and the layouts, of the teams, and you know went with the open pitching slots. Um, Seeing just the number of injuries with um, starting pitchers, I mean, and personally being impacted by them um, on my team, you know, it is kind of nice now to, to have that alternative strategy to like load up on more relief pitchers.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad we did that. You know, I'm, I'm glad we did the stolen base change too. That
1: one might stick. I'm imagining and people will consider that. Um, so all these things, like we said, it was also cool to try new um, the middle infield corner infield thing that I know Prottsman, um was passionate about. I'm glad we did that too. It, it's just a slightly different take on assembling a lineup that is um, allowing us to try out new strategies. And there's some things we won't keep for next year, of course. So I think we'll go back to SPRP breakouts. Mm-hmm. But um, it was cool to do something different because I, I mean, unlike other people, I don't play in other leagues, so I, I don't try out these other things. I gave up other leagues a couple years ago because I, I didn't like having to kind of manage more than one team. Yep. Um, especially because this is my only real team I think about anyway. Right. Um, it, other teams just sort of felt like a, a chore to have to think about and draft and manage because they yep. weren't for as much money or weren't with as much serious uh, approach from other other uh, league mates. So yeah, um, yeah. I'm 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 overall really glad about how we've kind of structured it so far, and you know I, I can talk about my draft strategy. We'd like to hear about your prep a little bit though too, because um, mine was mine was pretty. Uh, pretty simple. I do have, like, a, a, a formula, or I guess you could, you could call, like, a mathematical approach to it, which I can talk about, but I, I'd like to hear yours, because I know you do have to talk about podcasts, and, and I'm sure you look for sleepers and stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I think the, um, the normal approach that I usually have, which is, like, um, I, I usually go and, like, uh, compile a bunch of, like, projection systems, and then try to create my own, like, values on players, which, um, isn't it's like a it's a fun thing for me to do it's a fair amount of work but it's it's not really trying to find like it's not really trying to find players that other people don't know about because i think it's like it's really just a compilation of um other projection systems but what it tries to do is isolate for like what our league does differently than what other leagues do so it like I, i try to account for like obp instead of like looking at ADP for players that are... Um, well, I guess, looking at the ADP of players that are, like, um, like in normal, like, projection systems and trying to find, like, which ones are the most under or overvalued based on our league format. Um, and yeah. I did and I did none of that this year. Um, okay. I, I think the... That, that reminds me a couple of years ago, you, you told me that I, I drafted or I kept... I think I was keeping Carlos
1: Santana, who we, we all know now is, is notorious for his... Really solid OBP yep. year after year, despite you know you know uh, kind of a roller coaster ride of other stats. Um, he's always pretty good at drawing walks and getting on
0: base. Yep. Um,
1: and I think you noted that like based on ADP, he he was one of the best values out there,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, I I do remember that actually because it was like I, I at that point I had um I I don't do this anymore, but at that point I had uh, like preseason tried to like quantify who had the best keepers based on Variance from um, Like What Our value is Versus what like Other people consider And like I think that one Had the biggest Like round value So that I thought was like Pretty interesting um, But yeah It's it's it, That's basically All I was normally Trying to do But in this particular season I kind of went into it With a um, Like To your point Like who knows From day one Like the draft To the next day um, Like any variety of players could have been, uh, could have had COVID. I don't think anyone really predicted like specific teams for being out for like weeks on end. Um, so my, my approach was really kind of like knowing what I knew about the players and having like a specific strategy in terms of like trying to get my starting pitching in early and trying to draft guys that had pretty high OBPs because like my, my whole goal was to increase flexibility by making my roster very like churnable um, and like, I think that's a I don't know. We'll we'll see if that uh, strategy plays out. But um, my whole concept was to keep as much flexibility uh, as possible. That was that was really the whole intent.
1: So what's an example of flexibility? I guess in one of your your favorite picks.
0: Uh, well, this is interesting because I'm supposed to be interviewing you, but uh, I'm I'm happy to talk about. Um, kind of the the various picks that I had and and one that I think is backfiring pretty hard on me right now but um, my whole goal was I knew I could um, I knew I could like churn my offense um, in a way that the counting stats would be there and I needed to offset like the shittiness of like churning players um, and obviously hurting your ratios so I I tried to go with a lot of guys that were high OVP guys because I think the higher slugging guys I think are notoriously like um like drafted pretty high anyway because their homers would be up or they're like they're known for having high slug but I think the OBP was an area where you could try to find value throughout the draft and so I went with guys like uh Chris Bryant for example in the 4th round where that one has not worked out well at all uh guys like Max Muncy who not only had like a higher OBP and a good walk rate um but also had another thing that I was really focused on which was um position flexibility so you know i i knew that i would have to like find players to rotate throughout the year and the more flexibility my offense had meant that i could get like any player as opposed to just an outfield or just a third baseman or whatever like having guys like max muncie and dj um, and other guys I, i that i you know drafted relatively early on in my mind was just like added flexibility Um, And it was interesting because at Max's we were like talking about it and like Protzman basically said like It's basically been proven that having position eligibility isn't actually that valuable and like I I get the math behind that but I think the What they're missing is how that fit into this particular strategy and in this particular strategy It was hard to quantify, but the additional position flexibility was really valuable to me Um, and so I mean who knows I might end up in last place and uh, that will all be for naught. But when I was, as I was thinking about a strategy, that was my, that was my approach. Yeah, I like it, and I, I like to say that you know sometimes I also look for position
1: flexibility, I mean, especially a year like this. Also, like where you need to be able to shovel players in. Like my shortstop, um, who I liked a lot coming into the draft and was glad I got him where I did. All the young, you know, came down with COVID, and you know, having other players who m- maybe not. Be- they may not be shortstops, but they
0: got four. I think. What, what's the positional um, minimum? It's four games, I believe. Four. Yeah. So I, I had my guy Wendell uh, get four at shortstop, and he's not a,
1: a starter, but like I'm able to rotate him in there now. Yep. And so like, if I knew that coming I mean, the season, I would have drafted him. Right. Right. I, I would. I would think he would have been a draftable, you know, positional flexibility guy, not your primary shortstop or second baseman, but like someone to to rotate in. Yeah, towards the, the back of your draft, and so yeah,
0: I, I, I know it's it's maybe, maybe not a, a, a driver for drafting a team, but I think it's important, especially seeing how we added corner infield, middle infield. Yeah, I, I, that that was exactly my my view as well. Um, so yeah, let's let's talk about your draft. So I I think the yeah. Your first round, I think, um, you... I'm sure one of the biggest yeah. questions going into the, the the draft was, like, what people, what was going to happen with Mike Trout with, like, uh, the fact that he was having a kid. Um, yeah. And it seemed like you were the, the first one to kind of take that risk, and thus far it seems to be working amazingly well. It, it did work well, and it's
1: funny because, like, I was sitting next to... Um, Beckard and I leaned over to him and was like, Is there something wrong with Trout? <laughs> and he was like he was
0: like, No, they're just like concerns about whether or not he'll play for Yeah. The season. I was like, Oh yeah, I never heard that before.
1: Um and I I, I just like I came to the season thinking
0: the Angels were gonna be an awesome offense. Like really mm-hmm. good. And actually they've been kind of mediocre. Yeah. Um I think they've had some people in performing, uh I don't think Randon's been as hot as he should be, I have to double check his stats. I, I think in the last like two or three days I've seen a couple of homers from Rendon, but like okay. so I I've he I've heard Todd bitch about him for uh the last couple of weeks, so I, I know his, his numbers are not what they should have been. Maybe they're catching up now, but like he definitely got off to a very slow start. So I I just had a hard time believing that in a year where they were gonna have the Joe Madden effect, which you know, I forgot about the Joe Madden connection the with the Cubs, yeah. Yeah, they were going to have the Joe Madden effect, which is that I mean, Joe just brings a fresh
1: perspective that, you know, although it, it's, it clearly wears off, um, he brings a fresh perspective that seems to liven up a lineup, and um, I think, you know, I, I was I was feeling really optimistic about the Angels. I, I always had, I think we all have question marks about the rotation. I feel like they've always underinvested in pitching um, as an organization and done a poor job of developing pitching, unfortunately. Um, so that's a question mark that I think persists. Bundy has been awesome, which is which is exciting for him and for the Angels. Yeah. But you know, I was I was thinking, there's no way Trout doesn't want to come back to play when his team is in probably the best position they've had, albeit a short season, to have a really solid roster. Right. Um, so like for him to give up on that so quickly and by not playing, I just uh, I was skeptical. And you know what, he still has a chance. So I couldn't quit myself. myself. Um, so I, I was lucky and happy to take him there. Um, he's obviously been great in the time he has played, and uh, and so I was happy to get him there. You know, my back to kind of the previous question, like around how I approach a draft. Um, two days before that draft, I started doing my my research, which is essentially just pulling down the Excel exports of hitters and pitchers mm-hmm. from FanGraphs, mm-hmm. and I pulled down both the um, the projections from Zips and Steamer. Yep, and I averaged them out. Um, you can't always get all the stats, like state holds, uh, you know, you, you're kind of hard to get. You kind of have yep. to, to pull the stats from elsewhere. Fortunately, our platform, um, Fantrax, is actually pretty good. You can export stats from there now. Mm-hmm. And then I did a VLOOKUP to be able to, to pair it all together. Um, and then what I do, essentially, and, and Scooter is going to enjoy this, but, like, I, because um, I, I, when he was my, my co-coach, we figured this out. You can replicate the ESPN player reader. And if you guys recall from when we were on ESPN, you could, like, go to the player rater and see, like, how your player ranked amongst all players or amongst all hitters, amongst right. all pitchers, because they had this formula. And, and, and I didn't... I don't know exactly how they calculated it, but I found a blog or, or an article one time that explained it. And essentially, you figure
0: out um, for all the hitters and you figure out for all the hitters the the mean and standard deviation, and then there's a formula to figure out how many points you award them yep. for so many so many stats to set values above or below the mean um, based on standard deviation. And so, um, it's
1: not that hard and I've I've built it uh, like five years ago and just been reusing it and refining it from year to year. This year, the the wrinkle I added to it was um, I I just did did more of a pivot. So instead of just ranking all hitters blindly, and I still did all pitchers pretty pretty blindly, I did compare uh, a, a separate list of RPs versus SPs, but I actually organized the, I pivoted the hitters by position so coming into it, and I'll just kind of read off some of the, the numbers
0: for the sake of... And I think this is... Some people might enjoy this just for sake of yeah. comparison. Let's do it. So, like, Mike Trout, the highest point value
1: at the top of the list comes in at 18 points. And what I did was, again, just kind of totaling the points he gets across all categories. To compare, um, Glaber Torres came in as the best second baseman with 10.9 points, so 11 right. points. 18.84, so 18.8 versus...
0: 10.9, so you, you can see although Glaver's the best in his category um, he's still not the best hitter uh, Trout still has him by you know, more than 8 points Yep. you know, looking then at say the best catcher, Gary Sanchez comes in at 5.8 points mm-hmm. so that's the
1: best catcher comes in at 5.8 points, so that's right there and then looking at next catchers, catcher, Uriah luto 5.4, Grandal 4.5, Contreras, Wilson Contreras, 2.1 Will Smith, one point three; Mitch Garver, one point one; and then Salvador Perez comes in at negative. Right. And the numbers actually start
0: going negative. So basically, what that's telling me is that I'm not going to get much bang for my buck if I draft a catcher too early, and we all know this, right? But this is kind of the math yep. that kind of proves it. Yep. Um, this is funny cause, because season. Weeks and I actually spent uh, some time talking about catchers specifically in the uh, in the previous podcast. So this is uh, I-, I love hearing your perspective on it.
1: Yeah, and I think the one part I'm still sort of torn on because I haven't, I haven't figured out a way to kind of slice the, the stats to figure it out, but like this concept of positional scarcity. Yep. Used to be a big deal, right? And we all remember in San Diego when Cassius reached for Buster Posey yep. in the draft, and we all knew by that point Posey was not the offensive, you know, hitter, you know, player that he was in, in earlier in his career. He wasn't worth. Uh, second,
0: third round pick that he was going for. I, I think he took that him in the first round, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah it was, was it was like the 10th overall pick or something like that. Yeah, that was actually, even now, I'd say, uh, I think it was, our league does a good job of this. Like, we, we don't over invest in,
2: in uh, catchers, just like we don't over invest in relief catchers this year. I think the league also was was pretty awake um, to that. Yeah.
1: I think that, uh, you know, it's interesting, though, seeing kind of the major drop off, because you, you hear about. Um, people who rank players about tiers, and, and you look at the tiers of players, like the third base is interesting I'd say first tier is kind of 11 points and above, Yeah, um, Denver is at 11.2, Jose Ramirez 12.2 Arenado 12.5 Alex Bregman 13.7 so that's the first tier, second tier all with nines would be Machado, Bryant, Suarez Dalton. it starts to make sense right, because you kind of yeah. look at a regular draft and you're like okay yeah, r- roughly speaking um, definitely want to take Bregman, and Arenado earlier on. Um, definitely would not take Donaldson before them because he comes in at a nine, and then Aaron, uh, then Rendon comes in at eight point eight. So I think Rendon actually might have been based on the, just like, again. These are just kind of rankings. It's a summary essentially of the stats from Zips and Steamer. Yep. They, they didn't like Rendon coming right. to this, so maybe he was he was ranked a little high in a lot of rankings. So that's what this helps me do. By just it helps me kind of more objectively look at. Um, other ranking systems that are out there, because what I also do is just, I just say just check ESPN and check whether um, ranking systems are out there for uh, what they think are the best hitters overall or the best hitters in each position. And uh, and then I kind of figure out who I want to target, of course, based on um, similar to what you do, is like, you know, average draft position. Um, yeah. and I'm able to then kind of then rank the hitters. And what I did this year, very kind of, uh, I was focused on, a, of the course, of the draft, was crossing people off the list as they got drafted then see where the remaining value was. So I, I, this is how I ended up, to be honest, with
0: such a, like, a big-name outfield. I was going to say, because your your outfield, I remember leaving Max's apartment where we, we all, for the people in New York, uh, yeah. got together for like the first time in a very long time. And I remember leaving uh, your apartment, and my two takeaways were I really liked Chris Crisali's team, uh, as yeah. did he, which is, was, I mean, it just goes to show how funny this season is. He's kind of currently fighting for um, last place with Marner, and like like his team is obviously very much underperforming. And but I, I also thought that your offense, uh, specifically your outfield, was was incredible because you you went with just for for people that that don't remember your draft, uh, you went with Trout at fifth overall, and then you you went back to um, you went with Bryce Harper in uh, in the second round, which I remember was big because Max was annoyed because he wanted. Harper, and it yeah. ended up meaning that he took Bieber, who's been like incredible, oh um, and and honestly, I mean, l- looking at Harper's numbers, 4.91 OBP, 7.11 slugging, four homers, 10 that. RBIs, yeah. like two two uh, stolen bases, like Harper's arguably like talking about one of the top players in in baseball. That's he's been one of the best performing um, kind of players out there. And then you go to uh, – your your third overall pick was um, was Pete Alonso, another another big bat that I think – you know, I, I think he had a very strong season last year, and I think some people expected him to have some regression. But then, like, those three bats between um, Trout, um, Harper, and Pete Alonso, I was like, that's a monster for a start from an offensive standpoint.
1: It's, yeah, there, there, there's some fat hitters there. They, um, they rank very high in my list uh... – just uh, so like I said, trout at 18.8 blows everyone out the, of the water. Yep. Um, Acuna uh, comes in as the second ranked overall with 16.2. So you can just see, see right at the bat, like trout is like head and shoulders above. If you just look again, this is not any object, I'm not trying to like, uh, uh, you know, bad enough anyone's draft, but like based on pure ranking systems, um, trout comes in head and shoulders above everyone else. Acuna is 16. Bellinger at sixteen, Yelich at sixteen. So there, you can't really go wrong with any of those great outfielders. But then Harper comes in at thirteen, and Stanton at twelve point four. Right. Um, Harper at thirteen point six, and then Alonso. Uh, and like the, the thing here that scares me, and this is a good example of positional sc- scarcity. Bellinger was by far the fir- best first baseman at sixteen pointer. Alonso was the second best at eleven. Huge drop off, five points yes. between um, the first and second. That's where I think I forgot who got Bellinger, but I think they're in good shape. If you want to, if you want to make a um, a plug for positional scarcity, they got like probably the best difference maker at first base. Meaning that, like, if the rest of their roster is well above is above average and performs well, and they and they do the right things in terms of roster pickups or trades, you know, they could
0: they could do a really good job because they already have kind of a corner in the market, if you will. Yep. Yeah. I, I agree and, and I think from from I mean look the 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 first four players in the draft were Acuña Yelich and I don't think anyone was surprised to see Acuña and Yelich go 1 2 I I agree that if 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 everyone has, if everyone knew that Trout was playing I think in our league he's still the best overall pick um uh certainly he's not stealing as much as he used to but he's a OBP just absolute monster um and I think in in our league that plays up more than in, in other leagues, and yes, you're not getting the stolen bases that you do normally expect with Acuna and what you got with Yelich, and obviously Yelich this year has sucked. Um, but yeah, if if the assumption was that he was playing the full season, I'm sure that he would have gone higher. But you know, he came back in a freakish amount of time. I think he only missed like one or two games with the um, with his the birth of his uh, of his kid, and it's like, well, like if that was the expectation, I assume he would have gone higher um but you know i think people were concerned i'm guessing uh that like if you if you like have to re-come back into some sort of bubble or like you have to re-quarantine before you join the team and like i guess people were more pessimistic on that process which honestly i i I had no idea whether or not that was I, i honestly thought i didn't realistically think that this could happen but like based on the things that i was like reading about like where the industry the like the um fantasy baseball industry was taking trout like i didn't really think i would have had a chance of him at 10 but i also was like man if he comes to me at 10 i will be thrilled like that was like a that was like a um like pie in the sky type of scenario and like it it ended up not even coming close but um yeah i I think i think the your first couple picks i think i i totally uh am in agreement with um pick four you went with patrick corbin uh who's yep. uh, i mean look I, I am as familiar with patrick corbin as anyone else he's been on my team for um basically since he like had his big breakout season and so far he's been great i, I he had that one he had that one start against the, against the yankees um i think it was like the um i don't know if it was the like within the first week where he just completely shut us down um he's been looking good uh, and a good anchor to your uh, to your starting pitching rotation
1: yeah that was kind of a panic pick to be honest because I was just like shit I already went three rounds I didn't have a pitcher and I was seeing everyone else gobble up like in your case you know you know, at least one two pitchers by that point yep. so I was like I just gotta find somebody so I just checked my list alright who's the best pitcher now that I've kind of like probably gone too offense obsessed and uh, and so you know I think I was checking and based on my rankings I was like okay uh, Beaver's gone Kershaw's gone Beeler's gone Julio's gone Morton's gone, bauer has gone. I was hoping Snell would be there,
0: maybe, but I think he had already. He had, I just missed him. So Corbin was, was my guy. I think I think, I think Snell, Snell the was there just because I'm looking at it, but but I'm Snell go Snell had his own like question marks. Oh, and, yeah. I,
1: I, I saw the news on Snell, so yeah, I kind
0: of came out. And and honestly, and and again, another one of my, my keepers probably going into next year. His, I mean, Todd took him right there, and honestly, I take Corbin a hundred times over. I mean, a hundred times, uh, Snell is, his ratios are fine. He's got a two ERA and a 2.08 ERA and a 115 whip, but he's, he hasn't pitched more than 70 pitches in any outing. Uh, and he's gone two innings, three innings, three innings and five innings. And in our, in our league, that's a, um, I mean, four games started out of the 12 where you haven't pitched more than 70 innings, uh, for someone that you took in the, um, what was it? The fourth round, that yeah. that might be one of the I mean no, no shade to Todd it's just like I, I understand the pick but like in terms of like what you get that's one of the worst I think um returns in the fourth round yeah that's that's
1: very frustrating besides obviously injuries like, yeah you know happen to Verlander. you really you, what you hate even more than that almost as just having a player who's just consistently not underperforming but under delivering because of like an overly conservative um Approach like this happens with Dodgers pitchers too, which I'm sure frustrates a lot of the people who own Dodgers pitchers. Is just like they'll quickly have the hook in the fifth inning um, or sixth innings and rob, rob him just of the the quality start of a, a Dodgers starting pitcher because they're such a good bullpen and they have such depth in their starting pitching, and the approach to pitching is just so
0: conservative. There, they want to save
1: their pitchers for the playoffs because they always know they're in the playoffs. Same thing with the Rays because they're so good at developing pitchers, um, but they're also like you know, treating in a different way, like, opposite, they thinking like, every good picture we have is is money for us in the future because we can't make money in, in real dollars.
2: <laughs> right, <laughs> because right. Because
1: it's these good pictures at some point when they're worth the most. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to ruin the value of a of a SNL type of talent by overworking.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and, uh... I, I stand a little bit corrected in terms of uh, the fourth round uh, that I just mentioned I don't mean to throw Todd under the bus at all uh, I'm looking at my pick which was earlier in the fourth round that's where I got Bryant who thus far has been not very strong Uh and hero went um, first in the uh, in the um, fourth round where he's got a nice solid 297 obP so I mean it just goes to show that even even in a full redraft um, and granted we're still really only like two and a half three weeks in maybe into the season so it's still very much small sample size but um yeah like there's been a lot of players that were taken incredibly I mean Jelic is example number one Acuna is example number two so many players that were taken in what we would normally consider kind of like guaranteed solid you know return rounds um and so far no bueno
1: yeah I mean, haven't played based on myself I can sympathize um, I've heard Scooter say this before too and I think it's very true I, I wouldn't bet my team and my, my roster on it by actually playing an approach like this but in general like if you just had to look at like very high level stats pitchers are good earlier on in the season hitters are better later on in the season warming up and getting your swing ready as you know Yelich has been struggling with takes plenty of time it's why spring training takes over a month right Right. that's why they they give them so much time Um, pitchers can get ramped up pretty quickly but even they have their own trouble with control command Um, hitters like it's not just getting your bat speed up and like your legs kind of your your endurance up but then also it's the little things about being able to uh, adjust your swing and adjust your approach ever so slightly there's just those tiny like little muscles of of hand-eye coordination and and, um, and adjustments that don't happen immediately they happen very kind of gradually and that's where i can sympathize with um those guys who are very good uh, very good hitters who will like inevitably and they're already doing it, right you're seeing Yelch warm
0: warm up you're seeing brian he had an awesome home run actually last night by the way he we did, be I, really did I, I did see you. that yeah it was perfectly stroked and it was it wasn't one of those pop-up type home runs where he he just lifts it like he hit it. Like on a nose, so he, those are all good signs
1: because it just shows like his timing is there. But there's just in especially in hitters who are like bigger, lankier, like they've got a lot of moving body parts, so you have to give them yeah. some time to like get all like, recorded
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that's uh, that is totally fair. And honestly, as um, as as savvy of a uh, of fantasy baseball managers as we like to think of ourselves, very few of us have any like real experience playing baseball aside from. Uh, you know, slow-pitch men's softball that we currently participate in in New York. Funny funny story Duran, actually, because I think this will help for my draft, too. So last year, uh, I was
1: coming back from a softball game that we had out at Randall's Island, and Pat Powers texted me. He's like, do you you know this guy, Max Fry? And uh, I was like, "Uh, yeah, I've heard of him. He's like like a rookie, I think, in in Atlanta. Um, He's like, he's awesome. Like, he looks so legit. And uh, I was like, cool. And I picked him up like, late at night. And then I think I talked to you later about at Roma, or I might have talked to... to
0: I, I, I remember something. this, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know Potts was interested in him later on. And I think you know,
1: the, the, the thing there is like, he was someone who, who I've used to play baseball with for a long time who, um, who saw a player, saw essentially like Kershaw type of qualities, really hard fastball from the left side, awesome curveball. Um, the ability to make hitters swing at totally non-strike pitches. You know, balls in the dirt, they swing at, because his velocity is up at 95 from the left side, which is hard to see because he has kind of a funky yard angle. And all the raw stuff was there to turn into like a more polished starting pitcher. That's why he was obviously a, a keeper target for me this year. Um, I, I wanted to pick up, but he passes that eye test that um, you can't see on, on stats because he he, his walk numbers were too high um, because he was young, the Braves were not pitching him more than four or five innings every outing. He's not the kind of traditional candidate you'd see as kind of on the upswing, right? Who you pick up in, in your normal, pure statistical analysis. You kind of have to see him in real life and just see that
0: there's good talent. I, I do. You, I do remember you bringing that up, uh, and I do remember you giving uh, Pat Powers some uh, some shine on that. So, and, and I'm looking at his yeah. stats so that he was. Uh, you have him as a keeper, right, in, in like, normal PPL? Yeah, so, I also drafted him this year, yeah. And I was going to say, and I see you drafted him in the 10th round. Um, so far, a of the four starts, two quality starts. Um, yeah. Averaging, I mean, about almost six innings a start, which is, I think, a, in this year, uh, very impressive. Um, good, four yeah. earned runs in the season, uh, 21Ks. So 21Ks in 22 innings, 159 ERA, .83 whip. So... Thus far, I, I think as a, um, you know, most people who took pitchers in the first, second, third rounds, that would be a, uh, obviously a stat line that Great they return. can aspire to. Yeah, yeah. so so yeah. in the 10th round, that's a fantastic return, and uh, if I hope you guys are right, and he continues to, to crush it this year, and, and moving forward. And next year. What, what is what is he, uh, is he a free agent pickup for you then? 17th rounder? Uh,
1: yeah, I think so, yeah
0: well if if that's the case then i think he is um he would have to enter like uh i mean if he turns into the stud that you think he might be if he's a kershaw-esque type of player maybe not even the kershaw ceiling but as a 17th round keeper he'd be up there as one of the top starting pitching keepers in in our league um up there with maybe like uh walker bueller that max has or like lucas Giolito that max has um so yeah i mean that's that is a a very nice thing to to hope for. I I'm, I'm with you on that.
1: So I, I can't just talk about good news, right? I have to talk about
0: some of my bad picks. Yeah, I mean, look, I I just want to go and, <laughs> and and we are. By the way, I told you I wanted to keep this to about thirty forty five minutes. We are going to blow <laughs> yeah, through that. Uh, and and you know what? I'm I'm not going to slow us down at all. I, I I love the conversation we're having, and I want, um, you know, I, what what I'll do is, we're coming up on fifty six minutes. What I'm going to do is. Uh, in, in, like, two or three minutes, I'm just going to pause, stop the recording, and then um, start a new recording because it, it will shut me off at 60 minutes. Uh, but I, I want to keep going. And, and so your your next pick in the draft in the fifth round was Giancarlo Stanton, who is, again, another one of my keepers. Um, and who – I remember the first couple days I was texting him, I was like, he's going to be so good. He, like, started off the season so well, and yeah. he, he – continue to have, like, a very strong, strong numbers, I think, overshadowed by how well uh, Aaron Judge got started off on. Um, but now, obviously, on the IL, uh, and which is look, that's always the uh, the case with Stanton. It's just, like, if he stays healthy, he's going to be good. Um, it's just he can't stay, he can't seem to stay healthy. Um, but you took him in the fifth round, which I, I just remember looking at this, and I, I remember, like, flipping through teams uh, at some point in, like, the sixth or seventh round just to see where everyone stood. And I looked at your outfield with... Trout, Harper, uh, then Giancarlo Stanton, and then Corbin as a pitching uh, kind of your your ace, and Pete Alonso. and I was like, holy shit, Haywood is putting together a monster offense. Uh, and then you followed up in the sixth round with Matt Chapman, who's a, I think, a huge value in the sixth round.
1: I think so, too. So Chapman's an example of a guy who doesn't, um, like, if I wanted a better third baseman, there are one, two, there are nine names ahead of him, so like I almost could have just like waited until I got basically the, the 13th third baseman who no one else wanted, or the 12th third baseman, right? Because right. everyone else would have one by that point. Um, but Chapman was one where just kind of bias kicked in and I was like, I want to up this guy's stats a little bit in my own book, right? Coming, And that's where I, I don't try to stick too religiously to my numbers. Stanton is an example of a guy I had to draft because he was still so highly ranked in my own Rankings versus where he was falling in the draft, and I and I just knew I had to take him there. Same story with Reese Hoskins, by the way. Um, I don't like that pick uh, because he's he's been so bad. Although Reese is
0: still has somehow like has, has a super high on base percentage. Yeah, he he's been walking power, a ton. There was he's walking
1: a ton, which is which is good news, and, and it's just a matter of, like if he can start to hit for a little power, like he's got it all, like in terms of hitting in front of
0: Parker. Yeah, and 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 there's a um, kind of on the notes that I had written for this episode, uh, I had like a couple, a couple players that I thought were like hilariously like high stat lines, um, such as like Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, obviously, uh, and then I, I th- you had some names that had ridiculously um, like weird looking stat lines, including Reese Hoskins, who has a 404 OBP, which is elite. And a 238 slugging, uh, which is, yeah. I mean, an insane, an insane stat line at this point. 42 at bats, uh, eight hits, nine runs, zero homers, one RBI, with a 404 on base and a 238 slugging. It reminds me a little bit of a conversation I had with Crisali about uh, Carlos Santana's numbers, where it's, it's kind of similarly, just like outlandishly weird. Uh, and there's no other way to describe it.
1: Yeah, he's a, he's a weird dude. Uh, he came out super hot out of the gate, remember, a few
0: years ago. Yep. And um, he should have progressed up, but he's, he's waffled and he's
1: gone down. So he's one of those guys, like uh, another Philly, like Michael Franco, who was super hot when he started his career there, and then just fizzled out and couldn't make the adjustments. And he might just be one of those guys who doesn't make the adjustments, and I'm willing to accept the fact that that's a bad draft pick.
0: Yeah, I mean, not, you're, you're you're in the ninth round, and, and I'm gonna pause you yeah. right there. Hold on, I'm I'm just gonna stop this. I'm gonna it's gonna take a few seconds, and then we'll pick it up again. Sure. All right, so we're back. Uh, we're picking it up. Uh, we were just talking about Reese Hoskins. Um, look, I I think I I agree that it's a at this point it looks like a not great pick, but it's also the ninth round, and so many picks are performing worse uh, in higher rounds. So I I don't even think you can really really hate on that um, and in in between you went with uh, we talked about Matt Chapman you went with um, Mike Soroka, who had just a, a very unfortunate uh, injury that was yeah. very painful looking um, Zach Wheeler so it sounded like between round 7, 8, 9, 10 with the exception of Reese Hos- Hoskins you were trying to build up that uh, starting pitching rotation a bit.
1: Yeah quantity over quality approach basically just to try to see if I could uh... Take some stabs to to hopefully get uh, the stats that either I believe the guys are capable of, in a case like Freed, or um, that they kind of delivered before in the past. In the case of Wheeler, who, who can be considered a, a venture at this point, um, Soroka definitely um, an unsettling and, and disappointing uh, injury, and um, you you hate to see that with like a, a super young, super talented pitcher who could have you know been up there in the top ten, you know, sort of thing sort of talk if, if he had just kind of done what he did at the beginning of last year he was super strong. Mm-hmm. And then um you know, and then at that point it's like, okay, i got I got like top hitters who like I don't care about position, right? That's my approach at the beginning of the draft I think most people do kind of the same for the most part. They should just say, Can I get the best hitters and the best starting pitchers available? And then you start to think about okay, I gotta start thinking about how to fill out the rest of my roster and you gotta think about maybe the other positions that You've neglected at that point. you got to think about like shortstop, second base,
0: the middle and right. third quarter infield. You know, um, right, because so, so, so far you're, you've basically just been outfield starting pitching and uh, like Reese Hoskins at, at, at first base basically. Does he have first base in, in this season? Yeah, yeah, okay. first base. Got it. Uh, so, yeah, so I guess the next couple rounds you went with um, Paul DeYoung, uh, then Kyle Tucker, so back to outfield. Uh, Kyle Tucker, I, I forgot about that that pick for you. Uh, Rugnet Door, and yeah. then uh, Craig Kimbrel, and that's uh, Craig Kimbrell might be the most um, heartbreaker. Yeah, it's 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 one where that's I think biggest, it's, yeah, I was regretting that before the draft was even over, let alone like now, and i had to have to drop him because of how awful
1: he is. And I yeah. just watched the end of the Cubs game, by the way. Rowan Wick closed it out <clears throat> congrats Ryan <clears throat> I think Ryan picked him up right on time yeah um, yeah that's that was stupid When I, I shouldn't have drafted him there uh, the Cubs shouldn't have given him millions of dollars he should have just retired and taken the Hall of Fame that he would have gone inevitably even without continuing to pitch I don't know uh, guys in a, in a funk hey, he's still throwing like 97-98 but um, the problem is he's way too predictable it was, it's was it been like downright like shocking I don't know if you've seen any of the footage like the replays but like he had like f- five balls hit 102 miles per hour or faster oh, off the bat against the I think the Royals when he was trying to close it out right I think he actually did close one out and, and like two of them went no it was the Pirates and, and it was the Pittsburgh series and, and two of them went for home runs
0: other three went for super hard line drive-outs, and it was like, this dude is like, they're just teeing up, like it's batting practice, but he's still hitting 97. Um, It's crazy to think about that, because, I mean, there was a point not too long ago where Protsman was trying to make an argument that he was on a faster pace to become a better closer than Mariano Rivera, and now we're at a point where he's literally droppable in our fantasy baseball league where he like i i I don't know if it was the uh holdout last season or what it was but he he has gone from a like a stud closer to a unrostable player unrosterable player in like in a in about mm, maybe 80 games
1: so i as a cubs fan who gets the news alert articles about him and also, just someone like I said, who, who watches like mechanics of baseball players. I read a good article recently about like how do you fix Kimbrell. And he's not done for, right? You see other closers who kind of look like Wade Davis, who are just like getting older. They're like losing command of their pitches. They're losing velocity. They're just like they're getting washed up, right? And they're getting overpaid late in their career because they're being rewarded for really awesome performance earlier on. Right. I don't think it's a case with Kimbrel. I think Sam was onto something. It's like he, the guy is still very legit. What um, what his problems are? Two things I read. Like his curveball um, is they're just laying off of it, and he's not throwing it for a strike to make it a threatening pitch. So they just lay off the curve and they go for the fastball, and the fastball doesn't have the same um, life to it because he's basically he's developed some bad habits where he's dropped his arm angle and he's kind of it sounds like flattened out a little bit his um his his pitching angle so it's, it's these little things that he needs to fix but they take a long time um for a starting pitcher they're they they fix them more quickly because they pitch in such a large volume right and so um and they also have other pitches right starting pitchers always have at least three pitches that's how they're able to go through three times through the order without um, ideally three times three times through the order without um, getting kind of figured out by the batters right Um, as a relief pitcher you only need two pitches and in Carroll's case he only has two pitches which is his his electric fastball and and his curve Um, but if his curve sucks then he's got this very predictable fastball that that, like I said the Pirates hitters knew was coming right he'll figure this out like it it's not a matter of, like, yes, but when. And someone, if they're if they're willing to bet on it, which I wasn't, I just don't believe that he'll figure out this year or that he'll be worthwhile being a um, a sixth inning when we're down by a three type of guy
0: who's not going to give me a hold and may still suck while he's figuring it out. Yeah, no, I, I, think, I think totally fair. And honestly, again, going back to your experience with baseball, you probably have more to pull from in terms of, you know, whereas most people that are in the fantasy baseball industry or most people in our league that have never played baseball like this it looks like a very like maybe the end of Craig Kimbrell I think having a um someone that has a lot more experience in professional baseball and like the skills associated with those I think it's a really interesting perspective to say that you know maybe he's not done for completely but maybe he's done for to a point where right now, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm just not not willing to deal you know, with he it. He
1: needs some time. Yeah, he needs some time to figure it
0: out. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so let's keep going. I, I'm I'm enjoying kind of hearing your your thoughts on the your draft picks. But um, so round and 17, you went with um, John Birdie, who you and I have a, a pretty interesting uh, background <laughs> with him. Uh, AJ yeah. Park, who is a I remember you you leaving, and I would have been as well. Leaving the draft, very excited with AJ Puck in the 16th round, and then literally, like, yeah. days later, it co- turns out that he has shoulder issues. and yeah. uh, he's, he's shut down for the season, I'm guessing, right? Well, no, they gave him like this quarter zone shot, and he's been working
1: his, his volume back up. But um, the n- news report I just read is he's playing catch from 90 feet, so he's not throwing off a mound. Yeah, he could very well not be um, on a mound pitching in a real
0: game until very late in the season, if at all. Yeah, that, that sucks too. Yeah, uh, but that's—I mean—I I get the enthusiasm around him. Um Then Archie Bradley, who's been quite good this season so far. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Not—I mean—looks like he's he's kind of locked down the um, the saver the saving role uh, or the I guess closer role in um, in Arizona. So good ratios yeah. there, a lot of counting stats. Uh, so that's been a great pick. Uh, and then you go to uh, John Gray. So I I personally have such an aversion to Colorado pitching that I I don't think I will ever draft a Colorado pitcher, but I get get why John Gray in this late in the draft makes sense. Yeah, exactly. I'm the same. I don't like the Colorado pitchers. I would like to meet the person who does because they're probably a fucking interesting weirdo.
2: (laughs) Um, Colorado pitchers... um, the Colorado has to develop a good pitcher at some point, though, right? <laughs> I mean... They have to turn one of their first-round draft pick pitchers into a good pitcher. He was a
1: 2013 Rockies first-round draft pick. And if he's 28 years old, it's now or never. Right. That's kind of, like, I guess, what I was hoping for best case coming out coming out
0: of this. Yeah, yeah when, you, when you say 18th, 18th round, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in terms of Colorado pitching... There's been half seasons of Colorado pitchers pitching well, and like i I'm thinking of um uh german Marquez where mm-hmm. like you look at him and you're like okay if if that's what you can produce, you're a top you know five six round pick um but you know even even players that have as hot you know streaks like that it just it feels like uh Colorado is the you know the anchor that sinks all pitchers, right? It, it just it, it over a long enough time frame, something happens, and you know the balls that are hitting the gap that should have, should probably be caught just end up dropping so many times per season, and end up being home runs. And it's just like I I don't know I I tough tough for me to to ever I, I get I get why you take him there, but I I don't think I can do that. Uh, yeah, it's wishful
1: thinking, honestly, on my part, that at some point there will be a good pitcher who you
0: know. Lives in Colorado. Yeah, no. I... But um, yeah, the, the the
1: proof is in the pudding, and I don't see uh, a recent example of uh, a consistent. Kyle Freeland was was a really promising guy a couple of years ago, by the way. Right. Who was doing from the left side, kind of what Kyle Hendricks does from the right side, and that is throw with not a lot of velocity, but really good um, command and control of his off speed pitches to be able to get guys to make weak contacts and um, and strike out. But then the next year, he got sent down to AAA, and it was like, well, okay, never mind. Um, <laughs> not, not a good
0: Colorado pitcher, at least not for a sustainable amount of time, but you never want to keep one or draft one in the first 10 rounds. Right. Yeah, no, t- totally, makes, uh, totally makes sense. Um, all right, so let's move on. So from, uh, I guess that was, eight, John Gray was 18th round, in the 19th round you went with Omar Narvaez, so clearly your pit, your catcher strategy was one where you were going to wait a very long time. And you I'm mentioned really, that. But I
1: liked Narvaez from last year when he was with Seattle. He put up really good on base percentages, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I I figured like if Milwaukee's going to pick him up, you know, then there's got to be something right about him. If they're <laughs> going to like pay to get this guy in the free agent, I think that's what this guy got. I don't know, I think it was a trade. I think they they paid him. Mm-hmm. And then I think um,
0: you know Milwaukee's a good place to hit. It's, it's actually been. Uh, a
1: good change for many hitters in, in recent history.
0: Yeah, uh, he's so <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think um, I agree. The Milwaukee offense, theoretically, I would feel pretty good about it. Just so it so happens that if if, if Christian Yelich is hitting like sub two hundred, uh, it's really tough for the rest of you. And and um, uh, Lorenzo Kane opts out of the season, like, and Ryan Braun is injured. It's, it it just seems like Milwaukee's now the kind of offense that. I think people are streaming against because they've been so bad, but yeah. So be right. it. Um, all right. So moving on, you you went with um, Will Harris uh, in in Washington. So start start to was that your first closer? As far as I can tell. Well, no, because I had uh, Kimbrell. Oh, that's right. That's right. You, you, you did have Kimbrell. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, so you're you're kind of your second closer there, and then I think you went with. Um, with Chad Green in the next pick so you went I can't believe
1: no other Yankees fans went for Chad Green any earlier this guy was actually pretty well ranked in uh,
0: in rankings coming in and he throws more than one inning as a relief pitcher too can I tell you why I don't like Chad Green uh, and, yes, and this please. is going, going back to last season he, he was used as an opener a few times uh, last season uh, yeah. and an opener like the person the person that is second in the opener uh, in our league is quite valuable because we have an a uh, uh, starts cap and innings pitched and Ks um category but the person that starts the opener meaning they get the game started and only go an inning or two are like in my mind so not valuable like if 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 you accidentally play Chad Green if you're not paying attention and he ends up opening a game for you that's like a horrendous like start like that that's a uh, and and it's not that I, I didn't think I would pay attention. It's just like in my mind, his value has gone down because part of his usage is being used as an opener of a game, which he hasn't. I don't think he's done that this year. So yeah. uh, I think he's he's been a, a great pick at that at that stage. The dude has
1: had 15 Ks in 11 innings, a .8 ERA, .3 WHIP. He's only
0: given up one hit in those 11 innings. Yeah, no he's he's been absolutely filthy. Uh and honestly without you would exp- it's such a luxury as a Yankee fan to think about the fact that we had one of the top closers in baseball in Aroldis Chapman um get covid right before the season started and we were just like, "Oh, great. We'll throw in basically another, you know, ace quality type of closer um in Zach Britton and our bullpen is so deep that we also have this guy Chad green who comes in like point uh, eighty two whip point oh, sorry point eighty two era um 0.3 whip with a uh 15 strikeouts in 11 innings this guy would be the closer on i'd say like 25 of 30 teams oh totally yeah because hey, he has this, the strikeout rate to
1: go along with um the ability to to throw in clutch situations
0: and honestly, he's he's the person that as a, um, he's probably the most slept on reliever on the Yankees, in the Yankees bullpen, because whenever, like in the last couple of years, when we've needed like a, like a, in a big game, a starting pitcher has like veered off course and we need someone to come in and like strike out two or three guys to like get out of a difficult jam. Like it's always Chad Green and he always delivers. Like, sure. He like gives up runs every now and then, but I feel like consistently day in and day out, he's. Uh, a completely undervalued closer and as as I almost take him for granted as a Yankee fan and I uh, you're right I, I shouldn't have
1: well I mean he's, he's probably having a little bit of a good stretch he's due for some regression um what are his stats from recent years uh, last year 4 ERA and, and the year before though 2.5 uh, in 2018
0: 2017 1.8 ERA yeah so um, and then a 4 ERA in his first season with the Yankees I mean
1: the guy's been a little up and down, so I can understand why you're, you're not trusting him outright.
0: Yeah, uh, but it, in that, in it's, it's more it's more in the big season, games. It's more in the big games, is what I'm saying. He eight, comes in and like
1: sixty-nine, he threw sixty-nine innings with a hundred and three Ks yeah. in his um, in his season with the you know, Yankees in 2017. That's re- I mean that's really impressive. So he came into 40 games in 2017 and threw a hundred. He was able to rack up a hundred and three Ks. I would love that stat line on. My team next year, like those are tough to come by where, where a guy can rack up that much accounting stats in so few games, so few
0: outings. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Um, so, moving on to kind of the next couple of picks in your draft, you followed up the Chad Green pick with um, Renato Nunez, and then you went um, Adam Morgan, then you went Blake Trinan, and then you went Miles um, Mikola. So, so, continuing to yeah. build uh, on the the relief pitching slash starting pitching quantity over quality type of uh, type of picks
1: yeah and this is where like honestly Roma if you and I wanted to go join some other league and uh, beat up some people like I should draft the hitters you should draft the pitchers and we'll um, we'll we'll make a good partnership because I just
0: I don't care about pitchers I hate them they're so boring (laughs) and uh, I get to the late part of the draft and I'm like what's this guy's name? Ryan Presley, okay, I'll get him. And then yeah. fucking Marner sneaked him out from under me. I was like, Ugh, okay, I, I thought I had my guy, and then I'm right. to find another one. And I'm like,
1: all right, I guess I'm, I'm going to go for the next one in my rankings list. Because I, I do the same thing where I, I build rankings, and I, I look at who's the next best available guy. I'm just not nearly as excited about pitchers. And uh, I don't know, maybe you tell me, like, how do I, how do I learn how to like pitchers?
0: I, I don't know, because honestly, I have a love-hate relationship where... The last two years I've gone in, I've left the draft feeling amazing about my starting pitching. Uh, last year it was just an absolute fire wreck disaster where uh, I think my, my second pitcher that I, or my second round pick was uh, Carlos Carrasco who had cancer. And then my early pick was like Jay Happ and Nate Avaldi and like just guys that just like, I, I'm, I managed to find like, I don't know. I my approach to pitching has been a um, well, it hasn't worked, so that just is what it is. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, sa- same this year. I I started with the Brom Bueller as my first two picks, and yet somehow my offense is way better than my uh, my pitching, and my starting pitching is actually like hugely like behind. My ratios are atrocious. I'm looking at like a like a four fifty. ERA and a 124 whip, which happens to be in the middle of the pack, but like, yeah, I, I guess don't, whatever whatever advice you want from me from starting pitching, just just don't listen to it because it's... You've,
1: you've found really good pitchers in the past. Like, I, I feel like I, I know you for that, though. Why
0: do yeah, I know you for that? Because, uh, well, I picked up DeGrom uh, before DeGrom was DeGrom. I picked up Corbin. I drafted Corbin before Cor- Corbin had his breakout, but like whatever my strategy going into the draft on pitchers clearly hasn't worked very well. Um, I mean, look, I, I'm as optimistic on Lazardo as like anyone else. Um, so, like, there's one that I, I think maybe is going to be like a, a good pickup for me. I, I think I've, I managed to find value in pitchers, but like on a team-wide level, my pitchers tend to, uh, as they say, a uh, suck. So that that's just uh, an unfortunate reality. But that that's basically the uh, the draft, and I feel like I I went through. Uh, I guess last one, just worth noting, um, you, you took Miggy in the 27th round, which, hey, if someone that is, is still good on uh, in OBP leagues, or at least better in OBP leagues than he is in, in kind of traditional leagues, but um, if you can rekindle some of that flame and it doesn't look like he's doing it this year, I totally understand that pick, but anyway... Um, yep. I think we we went through your draft in in more depth than almost anyone else, but I, I really enjoyed that conversation. I'm just kind of like hearing your thoughts on it because they're so different than uh, my thoughts on things in terms of like my approach. But uh, all of your picks make a ton of sense, and you're in second place. So so far, they're they're working pretty well.
1: Fingers crossed. I need to figure out my pitching though. So those of you who are listening to this and who want maybe a, a hitter to round out your lineup.
0: Come talk to me. Uh, perfect uh, kind of segue because I think uh, Weeks plugged his. Um, we we spent a little time talking about uh, trading, um, and and kind of how this trading in this season w- looked a little different than normal because normally you have the ability to trade, um, you know, players that are in different tiers, but because they're in different like life cycles in terms of their. Uh, value this year versus next year versus future years uh and no one really everyone's on a very level playing field this year so from the standpoint of trading i think we're we're off to a relatively slow start and i think it's just it's it's a component of the fact that it's a 60 game season we're like whatever 18 20 games into it whatever it is for some teams uh but trading this year is going to be a little bit more difficult because it's just you know player for player only what's left uh for this season and what You know what teams need. Uh, So Weeks spent some time plugging uh, his trade, and he was looking to move. uh, I believe he was looking to move an outfielder for a first uh, first baseman. Um, And it sounds like you're looking to move some offense for some pitching. So uh, spend a second on that, so people that are listening have the uh, ability to reach out to you if they have what what you think you need. Well, I, I would be a perfect trade partner for Weeks. Off the bat, if John Carlo wasn't on the DL, right? Uh, I had the good fortune of picking up Tay Oscar. Um, well, he, he, he has outfielder, he needs first baseman. I, I, I don't know if he, I said that. Uh, he has in- outfielder, he
1: needs first baseman. Correct. Gotcha, correct.
0: Well, I uh,
1: I have uh, I have my boy Reese, of course, um, and I'm not, I'm probably
2: not going to make a blockbuster trade like trading P. Alonso. So right.
1: in my case, you know, if I were to think about what Weeks needs, I probably have something that's a little bit more more expensive than he wants to buy with Alonso, and then um, maybe not quite there with with Reese. Those are my two draft picks. Now I did pick up Colin Moran, who's been uh, surprised he homered he today. It. He
2: homered today. He's homered six times, which is. Um, Great. You know, it's great value having picked him picture of the waiver hour. Yeah.
1: Um, only a three thirteen on base percentage, but a five sixty nine slug. And uh maybe that's that's my guy. If I were to go talk to
0: Weeks, I'd probably see if he was interested in that guy. Well, look, I mean, uh talking about Weeks' team, his what he what he's strong in right now is runs, RBIs and ratios on the offensive side. He needs a first baseman, he has offense to gi- he has outfield to give. Uh, but he's behind in um in home runs. So maybe there's a maybe there's a deal there in the works and I, I would feel like a uh a really accomplished uh podcaster if if the two people that I had on my podcast today because of the conversation ended up doing a trade. So I would I would welcome that uh that approach. But it sounds like what you were looking for specifically is um starting pitching and you were looking to potentially trade uh some offense of your own, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's where my area of strength is, in, is at the moment, or, or at least my
1: pitching that I do have has been probably overperforming, and um, I'm still probably waiting for some of my hitters to perform in order to build up the value that I'll need, like uh, to be able to deal one of them. Um, so, but maybe we're still imagining that you know we could do a two for two type of thing. I could upgrade a pitcher, he could upgrade. A uh, first baseman that sort of thing yeah
0: a uh, hitter um, there's always that option um that we could explore but yeah, yeah i mean I, I, my area of need is, is pitching it's funny we we're, uh, we're, we're i really enjoyed the brief review of
1: everyone's drafts on max's little, little balcony yeah at, uh, at the end of the draft and and what was fun about that is that we all got to like trash each other's rosters after the draft and uh and Max, I mean Max, just like very matter, matter of fact, was like, "Yeah, man, you need a, you
0: need an SP." And uh, I was like, "Yeah, thanks." And, uh, <laughs> I mean, not that
1: like, but I was like hurt by anything. I was like, Ugh, "Thanks for
0: saying out loud what I'm already saying to myself in my head." Right. Um, just because, like, I, like I said, I went for quantity or
1: quality. At that point, I didn't have, didn't have all these injuries. Like Soroka was still very valid at that point, but still, I didn't have the firepower pitching that other people have, and I'm, and I'm afraid that I'm gonna. I'm going to be hurt by that, right? You know, the counting stats are important in pitching. You know, when you, you're lacking in Ks, and you know your guys aren't going deep into games, you're not racking up innings pitch. You're not racking up Ks. You're not racking up. Um, you're not racking up like the, the the opportunities to get quality starts. Then, right? You get pitchers who go deep into games, who are a lot of strikeouts, who do what Garrett Cole should be doing, which is throwing eight innings with 12 strikeouts and uh and hopefully less than uh three runs or less right that, that's the that ideal perfect power pitcher i don't have any of those really right. um besides
0: some uh um some really good outings by Corbin. but even he's not out of power I, I wouldn't say he's elite in any way right so yeah i mean i, I gotta find
1: i gotta scrap it together and, and probably do a deal at some point
0: soon yeah look i, I think that's the the scarcity of those players were exactly why I went with starting pitching uh, twice in the first um, in the first two picks that was kind of my I I thought that that would be very much a scarcity in the league in general uh, Degrom has not been he's been good but he hasn't been Degrom esque uh, and Walker Buehler still is uh, kind of taking a longer time to work his pitch count up than I was kind of hoping. Um, and he's been only okay in like the rest of the thing. So, you know, that hasn't really... It, it was a good strategy on paper. Uh, I think the the um, execution thus far has only been okay. Uh, and then that's why I went with kind of my third pitcher as Lazardo because I... Given that I, I wasn't really expecting to go starting pitcher, starting pitcher, I went that route, and then I was kind of like, shit, I need to really build... I went the exact opposite route of you, basically, where I went starting pitching early... And then I, I took my time in building out the rest of the squad, which was not really my plan going into the draft, but because I went, starting pitching early on, kind of one, two, I was like, shit, I need to, if I don't go and build like my offense now, I'm gonna be building it with a bunch of scrubs in the later rounds. And honestly, my team has had so much turnover in the last, I mean, in the first couple of weeks of the season that I probably should have just kept going and started pitching, but uh, that, just is, that just is what it is
1: get into the strategy and just keep going for your area
0: of strength yeah i mean sure that that i i think that might have worked better i mean i'm I'm in i'm in fourth place right now but i'm artificially high because my game started count is is incredibly ahead of everyone else's which was intentional but like i know that there's some uh regression coming from my point total mm,
1: interesting yeah. Uh, so where where are your uh, where your trades or your pickups going to be? What, what kind of targets are you looking for? Other categories or positions?
0: Well, I think like later on in the season, you and I might actually make a, a very good trade partner because I'm mm-hmm. intentionally going to be done with my my game started earlier on, and that means that not only will I be trading starting pitching, kind of like from the middle of the pack, which most people usually do, but I I might be trading like the aces, um, but like. I, I I was hoping to get to that point and kind of be in a pretty good ratio standpoint, and I'm in a very bad ratio standpoint, so I think that, I mean, it just is what it is. It's just a short season, and if, uh, if your pitchers that you drafted early don't perform, then it's hard to have good ratios, but um, I, I kind of envision myself upgrading or swapping pitching for offense later on in the season. Um, it, it's more of a, a time element than a position element at this point. Um, maybe in the next like couple of weeks, I'll start thinking about moving some pitching. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of where where I'm where my heads at. That's tough though because you've been waiting on Walker Bueller to be able to work up his pitch counts and his innings to be able to
1: start providing you with more K's, more innings, more quality starts, hopefully, and. I'm assuming then that he's probably not a guy you're, to, you're going to want to trade because he's going to be kind of hopefully peaking at the point that you're um, looking to trade pitching. You'll trade a guy who people want and uh, maybe DeGrom, right? Or maybe who's looking good.
0: Keiko is looking surprisingly good, right? Keiko I mean, is, he is, he is looking very good, good so far. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah. it, 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 if it gets to a point where, like, Walker Buehler is the best asset for me to move, uh, I, I know that, like, intentionally mm-hmm. – I plan on finishing the season with maybe one or two starting pitching uh, players on my team Um, and and part of the way that I wanted to exploit the like nine nine pitching slots as opposed to the five starting pitching four relief pitching slots is I wanted to go heavy starting pitching early uh, and then late relief pitching for a lot of relief pitching late so I I kind of envision my my pitching rotation in call it September, looking m- like seven or eight relievers, um, for like one or two starting pitchers. Where like at that point, I'm at like sixty-seven to seventy games started with like a month to go, and I'm I maybe pick and choose the five best starts from the two pitchers that I have left on my um my roster, uh, and I have you know, in trading away my my stud pitchers, uh, I've acquired kind of upgrades in in my offense as well as relief pitchers, and I'm just rolling out six to eight relievers on any given night.
1: Yeah, I'm actually looking at your roster, I'm thinking that's that's a good way to go, and and it's a really interesting strategy. I don't don't know what the right strategies are ever, and uh, I always think it's interesting, Rama, the way that you approach the season and different categories and how you look to talk, you talk about time, right? I think I, as well as other people, kind of just think about, like, well, I want to have the best team across all the categories, all the positions at all times. Right. And that's kind of an impossible goal to achieve, but what you can do, like you're doing, is like, I want to have the best SPs for the first part of the season where I'm going to go heavy SPs, and I want to have the best SPs,
0: knowing that I'm just going to kind of basically shoot the moon on relief pitchers and just except the fact that I'm not gonna get those relief pitcher
1: stats. Right like say holds earlier on. And, and that's okay, it's only one category, it's not a big deal, right? It's like it's like getting up on a small basis. But I think it's a good strategy. And then you know, of course then I think where I commend you is like you haven't necessarily skimmed on hitters then. You basically make sure that, you know, where you paid for pitching, you're now making up for kind of lower cost hitters by making sure that you always have hitters in there. And that's where I've struggled when my you know, Phillies and uh, a couple of Marlins and then out, and it's like and now you know Cardinals too because I have Young. It's fucking frustrating sometimes trying to get like a full lineup out there yeah. when you should be able to get all your hitters in, into positions because every team is playing that day. But you've got like four or five guys who are all you know postponed or COVID or whatever, and uh, and and you don't run into that it looks like because you know you got you got depth
0: yeah and I, I mean in addition to the position eligibility i've kind of I, I think i mentioned in this beginning but i i planned on churning my offense a lot and so i have like four or five spots that i i don't even think of as full-time players i think of as who's playing on a particular day or who has a good matchup and it, i mean this is intentional and I, I did this a bit last year but i even more so wanted to do it this year but if you look at my my offense uh as it turns out, and this is just as of today, it, I, it wasn't like this earlier, but um, I gained two points in hitting today, and I now have 59.5 points, which is first in hitting, so I have the best offense to date. Um, and if you look at my games played, it's 241, and the next person is Chrisali with 236, and then most people are kind of in the 200 to 220 range. Um, and I, that was... That's at least by design. Whether or not it works is still to be seen, but it it is at least by design, which who knows. Maybe maybe it'll completely backfire because later on I'll be up there in counting categories and my ratios will be like absolute bottom of the pack. But thus far I've been lucky in my streams and the streaming hasn't really hurt my ratios too much. Right. So that that just uh that just is what it is. Um but we're coming up on a, an, an hour and a half um, And I, we spent a lot of time talking about Both of our respective teams, both the standings um, I hit on kind of the things I wanted to touch on in your team In terms of the players that are kind of really hot And the players that are ice cold Or like have a weird um, type of uh, stat line But maybe the, the next step um, Just to wrap up the, the conversation I want to go to Puff Puff Pass And I, I don't know if this is a Segment that you're familiar with and I I know you won't participate in the actual um, the Element that makes it like the puff puff pass part Um, But basically what I I do uh, is I take a hit of a bowl um, and The idea is that I will read you three questions and you have the ability to Puff on two of them meaning you have to answer two of them and then pass meaning you can pass one of them so you don't have to answer one of them they're not so uh difficult uh that or so juicy that you can't answer them but maybe you have a better answer for two out of three um so i will go ahead i'll just take a hit on my bowl uh i know you will be (laughs) cheersing me in spirit uh and then we'll, we'll pick we'll pick it up after that hold on And for this reason, I can not that anyone at JP Morgan cares about my baseball podcast. But for that reason, I will not be sharing my podcast with JP Morgan people. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, awesome! I love the disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so I'll, I'll go to the, the three questions. Um, so I'll read all three of them, and you tell me which ones you will want to um, puff on and which ones you want to pass on. Um, so I'll just start with the first one um so as the previous commissioner of the league uh tell me some thoughts on kind of uh how the league has evolved in the last couple years since your commissionership um kind of some things that you like about uh the the progression and some things that you don't like as much Uh, i think the league is always very reverent of um previous commissioners i know hannafin uh we we always kind of listen to his opinions uh, with with great reverence and yours as well. Uh, always good to kind of get the uh, the ex commissioner's thoughts on you know the current state of affairs. Um, and then a, a question that I asked weeks as well: um, Looking at the the season this year, um, pick a team that you think uh, you would choose as kind of almost locked into the bottom four, and then choose a team that you think is a lock for the top. Four and I say that as like a the top third and the bottom third. Uh, and then lastly, I think this is a fun question, and we touched on it a, a little bit earlier in the podcast. Uh, I feel like you, like me, are a player uh, or a manager that really likes having um, your home team's players on your team. Um, so I, I guess some people would call that a homer. Uh, and yep. we, I think we both enjoy having. For myself, the Yankees, for you, uh, the Cubs, just I have my reasons why I think it's a a good strategy uh, for for fantasy baseball. But I think if if there are two people that can be accused of being uh, kind of their hometown hero homers, uh, we're among the top. Uh, So just tell me who uh, you think is your favorite Cub that you've ever had on your team, if you happen to remember it. That that might be a deep one. That might not that might not That's be answered right away. I, I I think I have to to puff on the first two and pass on the last one just because I I honestly don't know how I answer the last one. Okay. I've accumulated so many Cubs over the years. I just don't know. I literally don't know. it. But you know what's gonna be fun? A, a fun project is to like go look back in the archives and figure that out. Like back in those years. I, I think it. I think um, <laughs> who was sure, it that yeah. was like your. Um... You're kind of like um Swiss Army Knife player that um Ben Zobrist. I feel like you had Ben Zobrist on your team and you love Ben Zobrist.
1: When he was a cub
0: though? Yeah. Maybe I'm misremembering that, but I feel like um I feel like I feel like you, you always have like a, a, a good cub or two on your team. Uh, and yeah. I, I just like in all the years I'm I'm and obviously maybe not for right now, but it, it sounds like it's a good uh, kind of follow up but I, I am really curious to see it for sure yeah okay fair yeah, enough as a follow up fair um, enough
1: so on the first two I'll just answer them in order then how the league has evolved um look I mean I appreciate the, the kind thoughts about Hannah Finn and then and then my role uh it's it's a job that you know we definitely invested a lot of time and love and energy and passion in um I uh, I don't miss it, <laughs> and
0: and you know for for two good reasons. It is a ton of work, and I
1: appreciate the the additional time back in my life that I've had to not have this kind of additional responsibility of of managing a league and managing my team. It's been a great break to be able to just appreciate fantasy baseball as a as a league member only again. Yep. Um, and so I think it's good that we kind of now made a point to like rotate the role. And I think that was one of the things that I, I suggested actually when I was done with it. I was like, you know, I know Hannafin kind of did it indefinitely. I did it indefinitely. But that, you know, we should think about it and rather not force it if, if Proston is enjoying it. But like, think about checking in at least every few years, uh, or every couple of years, whatever, and, and, and just make sure he's still good. Because I, I reached a point where like I just felt like I was so overwhelmed. And I, I will probably need to check in with proston it reminds me, just make sure he's feeling good about the league, I, I, I'm sure he's fine, but there are times when we were having different controversies, and uh, and I think, though, know, like when we've had controversies, Proston's handled, handled them really well, so in terms of how the league's evolved, um, wherever we handed off from me to him, and, and he quickly got involved in the offseason, and has managed the fan tracks really well, I'm glad that he's empowered you to stand up the draft for the COVID, realmless COVID Cup this year. Like he's made a ton of great decisions, a ton of incredibly mature and thoughtful decisions, uh, and all the credit in the world to him just for having taken this on very flawlessly um, as the new commissioner and made the league, I'd say, better than ever. I and mean, then handled some difficult things too about like having to replace league members. That's not easy, right, because you have to then kind of feel the pulse of the league about, you know, where we're going, do we want to add new members, who is it going to be, and then, you know, the, the tougher parts, too, around, you know, changes, and, you know, this year this year was a particularly challenging year, of course, um, right. in, in figuring out how we're going to restart, when we're going to draft, how we're going to draft, um, and he set up the calls well, I think he, he documents everything super well, so... Uh, I, I just think I mean, that was something I try to pride myself on as a commissioner. I think um, I like to think that he, he kind of followed in the footsteps of what Hannifin and I did, which is like, hey, make sure like if there's a change, you put it in the constitution like right away. And he's even better than I am, I think, at that because he's he's double checked things, he's updated documents uh, very regularly, and that's good, right? We need that. Like we need to kind of we need someone that we can trust to like keep things um, dependable and reliable for us. So from that standpoint, I think Prossman is, is serving as a tremendous backbone the league that um, is making it fun and and easy for all of us but it's not an easy job it's not easy because you're challenged sometimes with solving problems that no one else wants to solve um and that's that's the tough part
0: about it no i I, I totally agree and i think i was uh as a vocal of a um not potentially opponent but more kind of a a cautionary um voice in the sense that like I, i i never doubted protzman's um Interest or his enthusiasm. Uh, it's its more that he is such a, a loud voice in the room that I just, I feel like uh, the commissioner, and he's done a pretty good job. There are times where I, w- I would push back a little bit on his um, kind of backroom dealings, if you will, um, where his his agenda is still getting pushed. Um, and I think that's a, I think one of the things that you and Hannafin did incredibly well was kept like your own personal team Um, biases as far away from the commissioner's role as possible Uh, and I think that is a it is a truly difficult thing to do Um, but yeah no, I I think from from the standpoint of being um, involved, being active, being responsive, he is a fantastic commissioner Totally agree Uh, So then your next question locked in the bottom four or, or, or
1: bottom third versus top third uh Am I
0: allowed to know what Weeks said? <laughs> <laughs> you are, uh, So, you, but that means you can't pick them, which actually makes it interesting. And also, just <laughs> just to clarify my last question, and, and you don't have to re-answer it. I, I think that your answer was very interesting. My my specific question wasn't on how Protzman was doing, it was just like your thoughts, pros and cons, and how the league was doing. Um, I, I understand kind of how you went the commissioner route because that was how I prefaced it, but it it, yeah. it was not meant to be kind of a, uh, tell me how you think Sam Protzman's doing. Um, but <laughs> a, a, anyway, uh, so what, what Week That's said... My lies, <laughs> lies, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no I, I totally understand why, why you went that route. Um, yeah, so, so what Weeks said, and this is actually more fun this way that you can't answer these people. Uh, he said max as a lock for the top third. Uh, which makes sense, because at this point his team is... I mean, this is probably as close as the margin has been between second place and first place. And you're 15 points, um, back from him. He's at 118, you're at 103. Uh, I think at some point he was in the high 120s and the next team was like in the 90s. So, I, I mean, with, with Judge Hurt, maybe his team slows down a little bit, but hard to envision how his team doesn't finish in the top, in my mind, I think one or two at this point. Um, but yeah, so you can't answer Max. Um, and then Weeks said for the bottom third, um, Beckert's team, but purely because as someone that, uh, like Weeks who was first joining the league last year, um kind of he understands the the ramp up period involved and how difficult it is to kind of get adjusted to all of the the rules that we have and all of the uh the nuances and so he just said from a standpoint of just being a first year commissioner um or sorry a first year um manager that it's hard to not be at the bottom so you can't say beckert for the bottom one as well makes sense and that's fair yeah uh
1: so I'm, I'm honestly, like, having to, like,
0: open up the fan tracks
1: right now and, mm-hmm. and, and take a
0: look. Um, and honestly, the, 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 the positions have changed. I mean, for the most part, wow, I just got an alert. Mookie Betts just hit his third home run today. i uh, watching it right now. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, and yeah. Weeks and I literally were talking about, because uh, he, he picked Mookie Betts first in the uh, in uh, first round of the draft. So that's that is very well-timed. Um but yeah, I guess the from the standpoint of um looking at current standings, it's moved around a fair amount. But right now it's um you in second, uh Weeks in third, I'm in fourth, artificially, uh Mr. Ryan O'Farrell's in fifth. Um Protzman used was in like in the third, fourth range, now is down to sixth. Uh Scooter seventh, Todd eighth, ninth is Becker tenth, eleventh, twelfth is I mean, amazing to see because normally you see these people near the top of the the list but it's 10 is hanafin 11 is chris 12 is marner
1: yeah i made your reversal um
0: that's why this season people. is fun
1: yeah man i'm gonna i'm gonna see if i can find some like more controversial controversial picks like people who are in the bottom who i think will end up in the top okay um so, one team I'm looking at that I like a lot, that's underperforming, especially offensively, is Chris Hannafans, the junior
2: mm-hmm.
1: Um, He's got guys like Trey Turner with no stolen bases and a 290 on base percentage. He has a, one of my favorite first basemen with Matt Olson. I obviously mm-hmm. traded for him before a lockdown. Charlie Blackman, who's been unreal with a 506 on base percentage, and I think... I would love to do this. I, I thought about this the other day when I heard that he was still hitting over 400 batting average. That, you know, if he could hit over 400 for a season, it would be like the first time since like 10 Williams, right? Yeah. And also 10 bats. Like, historically speaking, like, this would be like a really interesting comparison to look at his career as a 34-year-old too, right? He's not doing this like as a, as a young in his prime. Like, he's already been on the downswing of his career. Yeah. But he's doing this amazing thing in Colorado, I mean, he's got three home runs, which, I mean, he's hit almost 40 before.
0: and 20, 20 RBI and stopped. 18 runs, too. It's, it's crazy.
1: He's going to prove to be one of the best hitters in the league if he just keeps, keeps up something close to this by the end of the season. Yep. So having that as a cornerstone of your team, I'm going to pick kind of a, maybe an unconventional pick because he's in 10th right now. Mm-hmm. But I, like, I want to pick him to finish in the top third. Right, wow. Maybe he, he can land land in third, fourth, because that would be fun to see him like work his way up the ranks with, like I said, an underperforming offense right now, with guys who I can only think will trend up. And you know, we talk about kind of regressing to the mean. These guys should start to do a lot better again once their bats warm up. A. Eugenio
0: right. Suarez, awesome two seventy eight on base, yeah, two, yeah, like only two home runs so far. He's got a lot of guys who look healthy. There's no reason why they're underperforming. Tim Anderson hasn't stolen the base yet, yeah. and, and
1: that's why he drafted it. I'm sure. Like, there's, there's some guys who should do a lot better, um, and yeah, I think that that's a fun one to look at. And and, and I know he's pretty good at, at kind of scouting players and, and finding diamonds in the rough, and I, just, I would find it hard to believe that he doesn't put up a fight and try to improve his pitching at some point, too, because he's got Yu Darvish, who was awesome tonight, had a no-hitter going into the seventh.
0: Um, I was looking at his team earlier and it's yeah, yeah. it's it's you Darvish who had a no hitter into the seventh, ended up with a stat yeah. line of seven innings pitch, eleven K's, one twenty nine ERA, point four whip, and yeah. balanced nicely with a and Anthony Desclafani, two innings pitched, nine earned run outing, uh just absolute yeah. just like demolish five fifty whip. Ended up with a nine innings pitch, twelve Ks Great ratio with a 10 ERA and a 156 whip. What a what a absolute just kick in the butt uh, with you, Darvish, twirling a gem and Descalfani just shitting the bed. Yeah, Against you know, the Pirates, is, too. You know what's funny is that we, uh, Chris and I did a trade uh, last year
1: and I'm pretty sure I traded him like you, Darvish, for Desc- Descalfani and maybe a couple other guys.
0: That's and amazing. They all did great. Descalfani was great at the end of last year, so I can see why Anifin picked him up, because he finished the season last year really solidly. Yeah. Um, and Luis Castillo is great. Dustin May is awesome rookie. Like, he's got a great upside. Like, he, he should, his team should start to perform a little bit better. Yeah, Descalfani's two previous outings were five innings pitched, zero earned runs, six innings pitched, zero earned runs. And then against the Pittsburgh Pirates, the anemic offense, just absolutely a quintessential mean reversion. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, that that is controversial. I think if, if that actually happens, you get a lot more props than uh, Max, than Weeks picking Max finishing in the top four. picking Max. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: don't want to do that. I don't want to do that anyway.
0: Yeah. Um, How about the bottom one, and then and then let's wrap it up because we're coming up on the two-hour mark, and that was yeah, more than I was expecting. <laughs> it's getting late.
1: Um... Well, since I, I started the theme, let's let's go the opposite direction. Um, I'm not going to pick myself. Uh, I'm not going to pick you. Um, and we're already making up the top third. But I need to pick someone who falls to the bottom third. And I I then jump to the... Now jumping ahead of me into second place, Weeks' team. Uh, yeah. With bets. But then a lot of other questionable players. I mean, Gavin Lux hasn't played yet. Yep. Ian Happ for the Cubs has been on fire, which I love as a Cubs fan. If I were going to go after a player this year, he'd be a really fun guy to have. But, like, Josh Bell underperforming, Gary Sanchez, who I know you love, but, like, I'm not seeing a lot of sign of life. Yeah. Like, as, as someone who, you know, and this will be my, I'm probably going to be wrong in this, right, but maybe I'll pick weeks to then, like, plummet into the bottom third, because, like, I don't like some of these guys in his offense. Ramon Lariano is going to get suspended, and I don't yeah. know when that's starting. But, like, he was a great pick. I liked him at the start of the season. But then he's kind of been underperforming already. Um, and, well, no, I'd say 260 average, 3 on the um, base. I'll take that back. He's, three, he's got three numbers. He's been doing what you want him to do by this point. Yeah. Um, maybe it's a little bit more slugging because he's going to force his slugging. Um, but he's going to be suspended, which, which hurts a little bit because he was probably the number one outfielder that uh, was drafted. Um, Yeah. So that's going to hurt a little bit. And then uh, pitching is such a shit show. Scherzer left his start early, but he was the cornerstone of his starting rotation. If I want to be mean, I would say I I hope there's something wrong with Scherzer, and then that brings Weeks' team down, and maybe he ends up in the bottom third. Uh,
0: Controversial pick again, but moving in the other direction. But certainly a lot more... um... A lot more interesting. Uh, I think we we just went with two pretty low risk, uh, non offensive um, picks. So maybe maybe I'll, I'll make maybe I'll take this out of a puff puff pass for the um, for the future next couple guests and make this a staple of the uh, cruising down the boulevard this year. Because i I'm I'm. It is interesting to me to get kind of various people's opinion on this, and I think your your picks are certainly a lot more um, certainly out there in terms of like where the current standings are, but maybe not necessarily out there in terms of, uh, kind of the, the path that it takes to get there. But, um, anyway, Sean, this has been a fantastic, uh, kind of evening of, of baseball. Uh, we went way longer. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you you had the time and um, I'm probably off to bed pretty soon after this, but it was great chatting, uh, great catching up. And I look forward to the rest of the, uh, the TBL season. Me too, yeah. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. And uh, can't wait to talk more baseball. We should get a group together soon and uh, do it in person or something. Sounds great to me. All right, man. Great talking to you. Later. See ya. Good luck.